I just before I start, I know a lot of you don't don't know me yet, but if I could just venture something that I felt God was saying in worship, that um, that moved the pink bottle, that as I was walking down, I've never been here before, never been to KXC. This is wonderful. Hello, and. Um, but as I was walking down the street, there was this estate called the St. Anthony Estate. Maybe some of you have noticed it as you've been walking past. And what, what drew me to looking at it was this tiny little statue. And I thought, what, what the heck is this tiny little statue? And I went over to the gates. And it is, as you would probably guess, a statue of, a little tiny statue of St. Anthony. And it felt significant. It's literally right opposite where we are right now. And, and I, so I Googled it and just had a quick sort of Wikipedia search. And St. Anthony apparently is the patron saint of lost things. The patron saint of lost things, and apparently was made by Pope Gregory. A, I read this all this morning. So I read this all this morning. Um, and apparently by Pope Gregory was made a doctor of evangelism. And I just felt in the worship, I was thinking about this, and I was like, was that just something I walked past? Was that significant um, for today? And I do feel the Lord saying that for KXC, you are going to be a church, particularly this year, there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit in such a way that lost people, lost things are going to come home. And not just lost people, but I do mean lost things. I think the arts as well, it's significant, in a significant way this year, is going to be found by God and used for him to continue to transform London. So anyway, I just thought, I just want to throw that out there before I start. Um, it really is a joy to be here. As Pete said, I'm from one of your sibling churches uh, in, in Nottingham, Trinity Church, Nottingham, in the East Midlands, where God lives! Amen. And, um, and it, is, it is sort of this slightly eccentric, brilliant thing to, to finally be somewhere that you feel so connected to and have felt really connected to for a long time. As I said, my, my boss, Johnny, is Pete's cousin. And um, we've had loads of friends. My wife and I, Kate, used to live in London. We've had lots of friends who have been a part of KXC or are currently a part of KXC. I went to Vicar School with a whole bunch of people on your staff team where I sort of just annoyed them for three years until they agreed to be my friends. Amen, Anna. Amen. And... and um, and Tim and Lulu, who many of you know, Tim and Lulu May, who now lead Bow Church in East London, are two of our dearest friends. And uh, so we do feel deeply connected, and it's great to be here. When I was 18, um, I hadn't long been a Christian, and a couple uh, from the church that I was at had this um, sense from God that they were to send me to Israel, the Holy Land. And I was, I was sort of new Christian, particularly zealous, had all the Jesus culture t-shirts for the uninitiated. That's a Christian band. They were just, they were the thing. And, and, I, and I remember we went to Israel and I got on the plane and I was so expectant. I was like, the Lord is going to come. He's going to pour out his spirit. We're going to see salvation. Miracles are just going to pour out from our hands. We got on the plane. I was reading my Bible the whole way. And we were going to go to Nazareth and Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And we were going to ride frigging camels around the Negev desert. Like things were going to happen. And so we got, to, we got to Tel Aviv and got in the taxi. And I was just, oh man, I was just pumped. And I was looking out the window sort of just drinking in, drinking in Israel. And I just saying, oh Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And then this thought came to my mind. I felt the Lord say, I'm going to give you a tongue for the taxi driver. Now, let me explain that. I had been taught in church about this, this gift of tongues. And it's something that you can do in worship. And sometimes there's stories of people who, who start speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit fills them. And it sounds like gibberish to them, but it speaks perfectly in someone else's dialect. So I was like, that's what this is. So this Hebrew taxi driver, I had this vision immediately that, that I was going to speak this tongue to this Hebrew taxi driver. It was going to be in perfect Hebrew. And he was going to break down, throw his life down at the foot of the cross. Maybe there were some deep inner healing was going to happen. I don't know. But I was, I was so pumped. And so I started practicing. Practicing it. Does anyone want to get it wrong? 
And I saw, you know, Lord, is it suya ta yada bakukusu or suya bata? I was trying to get the, you know, the accentuation right. And uh, we were in the taxi and the, the radio dipped down at a couple of points and I almost went for it and, uh, and just didn't quite do it. Anyway, we got to Jerusalem. He dropped us off outside our hostel. And my friends got their bags and headed into the hostel and he was just about to close the boot. And I went out to this taxi driver last minute and I looked him in the eyes and I gave him his tongue. And it was clear to me in that moment, he had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. He gave me a really confused look, got in the taxi, drove off, and that was the end of that. I'm going to tell you a lot of stories today about people stepping out, the Spirit really doing amazing things, and Jesus meeting with people. But I thought I'd tell you a a shocker to start with, just to break any illusion that I've got a clean score sheet when it comes to this stuff, because I really don't. And I think, you know, in a weird way, I think God was sort of quite proud of that interaction, but there you go. There you go. Um, I want to talk today just a little bit on what it means as pizza. What does it mean to be an outward-facing church? What does it actually mean to be Jesus' hands and feet, to be the kind of disciples that know that the more devoted we are to Jesus, the more we're filled with his heart for the city? I love this quote on mission by uh, Leslie Newbegin. He says, the deepest motive for mission, the deepest motivation for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is. On the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. Man, I wish I could write like that. The deepest motivation for mission is just to be where Jesus already is. We're not taking Jesus to the city. We're not taking Jesus out on the streets. We're joining Jesus where he already is. And so I've called this sermon, Joining Jesus in the City. Come on, somebody. Um, But before I do that, Pete asked um, if I could just share a little bit of my story. And so I'm just going to give you some real bullet points of, of how I've ended up doing what I'm doing now, of what Jesus has done in my life. I grew up in a... In Kent, not far from here, 50 minutes on the high speed from St. Pancras. Just contextualized that for you, didn't I? And, um, and, I, and I, I grew up in a family that, I'd, honestly, I was really fortunate. I had an amazing childhood, but my parents weren't religious at all, didn't go in for Jesus or faith or anything like that. And the first sort of major moment in my story happened when, at the age of nine, my mum died of cancer. And it was this this moment of clearly of real tragedy but actually looking back on it now I think it was actually a moment of spiritual awakening in our family because a year before my mum died she had a visible encounter with Jesus in a hospital room this was someone who had a, a, a messy sort of broken relationship with her parents who ran away from home as a teenager and at her point of greatest need she had a visible encounter with Jesus and my aunt went to go see her shortly after the same day shortly after this happened And my mum was crying in the hospital room. My aunt goes over and says, Jeanette, why are you crying? And apparently my mum said this, Jesus was here, and now all I want to do is be with him. Jesus was here, and now all I want to do is be with him. And so looking back on it in hindsight, I think it was this moment where where God started to shake up my family, and there was a bit of a spiritual awakening happening uh, in my brother and my dad and myself. But honestly, we didn't know what to make of it for quite a while, and just, um, just got on with life. And in secondary school, I got really into music. And that's right, I'm cool as well. And, uh, and this, was at the, <laughs> this was at the height of the, of the emo era. Anyone give me an amen for the emo era? So the dress code of our band was sort of the awkward fringe, preferably covering one eye, a studded belt, van slip-ons, other brands were available, and jeans, skinny jeans that, that preferably hung halfway down your ass. Do you know, what I'm, you know the ones I mean? And... Um, 
And we played in this band. There was a guitar player in this band who invited a few of us in the band to a Christian festival that his family went to in the summer. And really, I think on the merit of us just loving him, a couple of us said yes. And during that week, um, once I got sort of over the culture shock of church, I, um, I gave my life to Jesus. I really heard about Jesus for the first time had a radical encounter with God where I saw Jesus and my mum was with him and he called me to follow him. And I, oh, isn't amazing? It's, oh, uh, and, oh man, and I'm um, sorry. <laughs> didn't think I'd be so, anyway. So, um, so, so this happened and I didn't know what it meant. I didn't own a Bible. I didn't know the songs. I didn't know the language. I didn't really know the rules of church, but I knew that I had to say yes. And so I continued playing music for a while. I got into um, a band that did uh, did quite well, if I'm, if I'm honest. We re- got signed, released a couple of records. My boss, Johnny, hates when I say records instead of albums. But he's not here. So we released a couple of records and um, toured and did things for Radio 1 and celebrity birthday parties. Oh, that's whatever. Anyway, so, so it was this amazing thing. But during this time, honestly, my faith was floundering. I'd committed my, my life to Jesus, but it was like a roller coaster. And I knew I was making a whole bunch of compromises and that what I said about Jesus really didn't live up to the way that I was living my life, didn't, didn't match up with the way I was living my life. And in my late teens, um, I, I really decided, as we've been singing this morning, I really got to the point where I realized that if Jesus was going to be in my life, he had to be everything. He couldn't be a part of my life. He couldn't be a compartment of my life. And I was just exhausted trying to make him that. And he had to be everything. And I really, in a tangible way, experienced deep forgiveness, the grace of God in my life. And, and from that point, I got baptized. And it was around that time where God started calling me to church leadership, which I sort of actively tried to run away from for, for about a year. And it kept nagging at me and ended up coming to London. Um, so I moved to London to study theology because that's what I hear what you do if you are thinking about church leadership. And so I, so I turned up in London, and around this time, for the few years sort of surrounding this, my dad had been quite unwell. And I was back home in my first year of university, back home one week, uh, and my dad, I think we were watching Antiques Roadshow, something like that, and he muted the TV and um, looked down his glasses and says, George, you've got to tell me, what is all this Jesus stuff about? I thought it was just a phase, and now you're studying theology and thinking about church leadership, and you've left your music stuff. Like, what's, what's going on? And he was, he, he'd always sort of been supportive of my faith, but he never really understood it. And so we, we spoke, and I told him about Jesus. I told him what Jesus had done in my life, what I believed Jesus had done in mum's life. And at the end of that conversation, at the age of 65, my dad gave his life to Jesus at our dinner table. Isn't that beautiful? Gave his life to Jesus. And, and despite having been back and forth in hospital for a number of years by that point, three months later, he died. And um, a death, honestly, you know, full of grief and grace, but... A peace within him that surpassed all understanding, a good death. I really believe that. And, um, and he came to know Jesus. And I remember praying and thinking, since I, became, I prayed for years, Lord, if my dad becomes a Christian, if my dad comes to you, I will believe that anyone can. Anyone can. Seriously. I mean, he didn't go in for any. And that's really stuck at the core of me ever since. That's really sat at the center of who I am, of who I understand Jesus to be. And um, the, the rest, I mean, there's, there's lots more to say about my story, but the rest essentially is that I ended up uh, going, uh, going to vicar school. Come on, somebody. And I went down like a lead balloon and, uh, and, and, uh, and trained to be a vicar. And during that time, also got married, just squeezed a wedding in. And then, and then now we're up in Nottingham, as Pete said, um, at Trinity. And at Trinity, we're seeing 
uh, honestly, God do amazing things like you're seeing here. Our, our vision as a church is uh, Church on Fire, the City Alive, which you actually nicked for a teaching series. And I think only one of you gave us credit for that. Um, and, it, and it wasn't anyone that's here. So, uh, but, um, but we're seeing amazing things happen. And we're seeing people just, just, just develop a hunger for God, for more of God. That we're, we're, we're so happy with what God's doing. We're seeing people come to church for the first time. People who had discounted Jesus, who had discounted faith, coming and meeting with the Spirit, coming and being healed just as we worship. And yet we know there's more. We know we're not seeing the fullness of all that Jesus died for. We know that we're not seeing the fullness of the life of the Spirit that he promises us. But we're, we're seeing amazing things. And in the last 18 months, I've been stirred in a particular way since we got to Nottingham about what does it actually mean to be Jesus' hands and feet? What does it mean to be disciples that don't separate off hunger for God from seeking, our, seeking to see our city come to him? The, 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 both, of, both of those things are understood as one, one uh, expression, the expression of following Jesus. As Alan Scott puts it, he's a, a pastor in America, some of you would have heard of. He says, the next great move of God is not a movement in the church, but a movement of the church. And I'm going to put my cards on the table right now. I do not think it is possible for any of us. I do not think it is possible for you to fully grasp who Jesus is, to fully know him if you're not sharing who he is with others. I don't think it's possible to grasp the heart of God without wanting to see the lost come home, without actively participating in the work that Jesus is already doing. I don't think it's possible because God's heart, Jesus' heart, is to see the lost come home. What did Jesus come for? He came to seek and save the lost. And if we want to grapple with, I mean, we, we, we see this bared out in Christian history that a lot of the church fathers, all they wanted to do was be with Jesus. And so they would run off to monastery. They would run off to the cloisters, to hermitages. And yet in that process of just removing themselves from culture and just seeking God, they found that Jesus was running towards the city, running the other way. And honestly, this is why I dislike the word evangelism so much. You may have a good relationship with it. God bless you. Um, you're released from anything I'm about to say for the next 30 seconds. But I just, I really struggle with the word evangelism because to me, it just rings of duty, doesn't it? Do you know relate to that? It sort of rings of obligation, of projects and programs, of things, of outreach things that we put on. Rather than... The overflow of a heart that has just been captured by Jesus. The overflow of a heart that just knows that the best thing anyone can do with their lives is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, there's no division between longing to know God and longing to make him known. The early church, much of the early church, we, we read, don't we, in, in um, Acts 2. Acts 2, it is Acts 2. that the, the, the Lord added daily to their number, those who were being saved. And even in the, the sort of first and second and third century, rather, we know that the early church was growing. Or, like most people estimate like 40% growth a year. And yet they wouldn't have recognized the concept of evangelism. It was just the nature of disciples to know Jesus and to make him known. St. Ignatius says that Christians are called to be contemplative activists. Don't you love that? I keep locking my iPad. So I just want to, um, I want to really just spend the rest of the time just sharing a few stories of how we're seeing this outworked in Nottingham. Just some, just some things that we're honestly just feeling like 
God's spirit just blowing on and just some tips. This isn't a formula. This isn't a program. I'm not going to undo everything I've just said, um, but they all begin with R. <laughs> so, and the three words are routine, rhythm, and revelation. I can see some people suddenly engage when I gave them three words starting with R. But the first one, routine, and the scripture to go with this really is Acts 3, 1 to 10. And this is about inviting God's presence into the everyday stuff we do. Praying for God's spirit to just blow on our routine. Uh, we, we see in Acts 3 really quickly, uh, Peter and John, just in, as part of their routine, they're heading to the temple to pray. And they're just going about their, their morning, and yet they're able, they're so open to the Spirit that they're able to respond to this crippled man by the beautiful gate who calls out to them. And this amazing scene follows, doesn't it? Where gold or silver we do not have, but we do have, we give to you. Stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the guy gets healed and goes dancing with him into the temple, and thousands of people are added to the church because of that. But it was just in the middle of their routine. And this, I, I really think this is a key thing for us to grasp. One of the ways... I'm seeing this. We have a Portuguese restaurant in Nottingham called Nando's. Do you have it here? And I, I love Nando's. And one of the ways that we just start and sit, and I can't take any credit for this, is but just to begin, when the waiter or waitress comes with our, to give us our food, uh, me and I usually just give thanks before I eat a meal. I'm just even saying in, in that routine, just saying to the person who comes with a meal, look, this might sound weird. We're Christians. We always just thank God before we eat. Is there anything we can pray for you for? What can we pray for? It's been amazing. First time we ever did this, 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 this girl said, completely taken back by it. Oh my gosh, yeah, actually, my sister's really ill. She was in, her sister was in hospital. And she said, can you pray for my sister? And so she stayed with us at the table. We thank God for the food. We thank Jesus for who he was and prayed that he'd reveal himself to her and that her sister would know healing. We prayed for the surgeons and doctors and all of that kind of stuff. And we just continued doing this. Every time I took anyone to Nando's, we just continued to pray as our food was given. And one day I was in there with someone from church and one of the managers came over um, and he said, you're the guy that's been praying for our team, aren't you? And I said, oh, it's not just me. You know, there was, there was a, there's a few of, I just started the fire. And anyway, so I, and so he said, he said this, said this thing and he said, last week you prayed, this is one of the times we prayed, last week you prayed for one of our managers and she came back behind the kitchen and burst into tears and was so grateful for what you did. And, our, and their team had been gossiping about this over the last few weeks. Their team at Nando's been gossiping, oh, you know, the Jesus, have you been praying for yet? I haven't got prayed for yet. And, and he presented us in this moment with two free chicken combo meals as a thank you. Should we stand? We're going to pray. <laughs> but it's amazing. As a result of that, one of the people who worked in the kitchen um, ended up coming to the church that I helped lead at Trinity and has met with Jesus, ended up leading the Christian Union, a university campus, just amazing stuff. So I'm just going to, I'm, this, I'm going to do this a little bit fast. There's so many stories I want to share, but I won't be able to get through all of them. And we're seeing this in our kids' church, honestly, at Trinity at the moment. What is a kid, what's a seven-year-old's routine, everyone? Primary school, right? The playground. And so we're just seeing kids in our kids' church at school, invite, tell, just telling them about what Jesus, literally telling them about what Jesus is doing in their lives and just inviting them along. We've got one girl who's become a part of the community. She was invited by one of our seven-year-olds to come to church and managed to persuade her parents to drop her off. And she now comes every single week. She wrote a little song recently. She says, Jesus, I think, 
Jesus, I think you love me and I think I love you too. And um, we're just having kids pray for the Holy Spirit just to fill each other and having dreams about being worship leaders and planting churches and starting businesses. It's amazing. One, uh, another girl who's in primary school been inviting a friend along whose parents aren't Christian at all. And she's come along and they were having a conversation the other night at dinner. And she asked her friend, do you believe in Jesus? And her friend said, yeah, I think I do. And apparently her friend's just praying that her parents can let her come to church more and more often. Isn't that amazing? That's just a, that's a seven-year-old's routine, folks. Our fr- uh, Mark, it might be part of your, my fr- friend Mark had a breakdown recently. Not an emo- sorry, not an emotional breakdown. His car broke down. And he, and he, um, and he just, you know, was chatting with this breakdown driver, um, ended up praying with him and uh, sending him off with an invite to Alpha. There's so many stories, but I'm going to have to move on just because we haven't got time to get, to get into all of them. Um, but it's just, it's, this is the thing, holy, just the Holy Spirit breathing on the stuff we do every day. You know, if you're a mum by the school gate or maybe you work in the business world, maybe there's a particular coffee shop that you go to every day, seeing every moment of your life as fertile for God to come and do something amazing. Uh, the second R is rhythm. I think I spelt right. And the scripture for this is, is Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the 72. And this is really just the idea, and this won't, not all of us are going to be able to do this, but this is really the idea of a specific time where we go out with the intention of speaking about and sharing uh, Jesus. One of the things we do in Nottingham is pray on the streets, as Pete mentioned. And we have seen amazing things happen. We've, we've prayed for builders whose wives have got brain tumors, and we've just seen them break down in front of their friends on the building site. We've We've seen people who are just hungry. Can I just say something right now? And I really don't think that Nottingham is that different to London in some ways. We're all part of the same culture. People are hungry. They don't know what for. They're maybe not hungry for religion. They're maybe not hungry for dogma, but they're presented with a God who loves them and wants to speak to them. People are hungry. I promise you. We get some noise, but even the people that say no to us, you know, are very kind and are very grateful that we ask. And we just go up to people and say, hey, this might sound really weird. We're from a church just up the road. and We're out on the streets today just seeing if anyone wants prayer for anything. Is there anything we can pray for you for? It has been phenomenal. I'm going to really quickly reel off some stories. We, um, we were out the other, um, a little while ago and we met a band who had just come out of a rehearsal studio. And uh, one of them was wearing a particularly hench slip knot hoodie. And, uh, and we, we asked them if they wanted prayer and immediately three of the band just backed off. Um, but this one guy said, yeah, I do. I'm actually about to become a father and my girlfriend's pregnant and I'm really scared. Could you pray for me? And so we were like, yeah, we'll pray for Slipknot guy. And so we just started praying, praying for him. And as we prayed for him, the Holy Spirit just touched his heart. And he just began to weep. And his, and his three friends that had sort of backed off, when we finished praying for him, one of them said, oh, can you, can you pray for me, actually? And so we started praying for this other guy. And we just prayed for the Holy Spirit in his life, that he would know the love of God. We talked to him about who Jesus was. We finished praying. He just threw himself in our arms. It was just, it was amazing. The other two... Just like dominoes now. The other two uh, said, oh, actually, no, I think I want that. And we ended up praying over one guy. And he said, I'm really struggling with anxiety and depression. Do you think Jesus could do something about that? And we were like, yeah, we think he can. And so we began to pray. And then the final guy said, oh, I just feel like I want, to make, uh, I want to make art. I want to make music that does good for people. Isn't that amazing? And we we're like, yeah, we can pray for that. You should just speak about Jesus in your music. We'll talk about that later. But we, we prayed for him. We prayed for him, and just one by one, we saw these four lads who had just come out of a rehearsal studio, just in the middle of their life, encounter a God that they thought was uninterested in them, that they felt far from, and that they that we left. That sorry, they left that encounter knowing that He loved them. And um, we've seen atheists um, who end up asking us to pray that God would reveal Himself to them. 
It's amazing. Uh, we, we're praying for um, people in cafes and um, and uh, a shop called Dead Society. I haven't got time to tell you that story. But we, 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 we bumped into someone the other day um, who had just come out, literally that morning had been released from prison. And we began to talk to him and we said, is there anything we can pray for? And he was talking about, you know, I'd love to have a bit of a fresh start and I don't want to get back inside again and get back into crime. We said, we can pray for that. And we ended up talking to him for a long time. He had lost his brother when he was inside. And he began to say how he had picked up a Bible um, in the prison, but just wasn't really sure what any of it meant. And I shared my testimony and a few of us kind of just shared about who we believed Jesus was. And this guy uh, became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus right there on the street. And it was amazing. We tried to hook him up with a uh, with a church where he was heading off to. Um, there's an art gallery opposite our church. A couple of girls, a couple of our students are in there talking to her. In the middle of this conversation, just felt that they had a word for this woman. Uh, it led to this woman uh, giving her life to Jesus. It's just insane, amazing stuff. Oh, I've got so many. Pete, man. Oh, worship went over. It's 12. I'm, j- <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We've seen people experience healing. I, I honestly theologically really wrestle with healing, but I've seen it. Um, we've seen... Um, <laughs> we've seen um, this, one, this one woman who, we've been, who we catch on the street more and more, and, and um, she's severely disabled, and yet through our encounter, she's gone from feeling like um, she's hated by God and that God has no interest in her to now wanting to come to church and wanting to come to Alpha, which is just amazing. Um, one particular guy, and I'm going I'm to move on, but uh, one, one particular guy, there was a pub just down the road from our church uh, called the Nags Ed. Sounds like an East London pub. And, um, and the guy there, uh, we went into, the landlord there, we went in to pray for him. And um, honestly, the day we went in, he was um, severely depressed. He'd just been to the doctor. Um, his business was really going down the pan. And we began to, uh, to pray for him and then just to visit him just week on week and see how he was. And, uh, and we would start going down to this pub and there'd be lads uh, smoking outside and they'd, they'd know we were the people that came to pray for him and they'd ask for prayer and they were gossiping about Jesus in this pub and one one night we came uh, came into the pub and two women approached us and said you're the guys who've been praying for Tony um, and we said yeah and they said can you pray for us too and so we began to pray for them went upstairs to see Tony and he was uh, uh, and he was clutching his cross praying and having struck up a relationship um, with Jesus and he told us that he really didn't believe that he would still be here had we not prayed for him and now he knows that God loves him and he's you know the pub sadly is still closed down but he's in regular contact and is uh, seeking to have a relationship with with God Are you listening to me this is you're all like yeah yes yeah, whatever okay <laughs> final R revelation revelation some some of you um some of you might know these as words of knowledge Okay, and, um, and the scripture for this is John 4, which I believe you were in last week. And um, this moment where Jesus is with the Samaritan woman, and he has, he has that moment, doesn't he, where he says, um, I know you do not have a husband, in fact, you've had five. And the woman uh, and just speaks straight to heart. Her, the immediate next line is, that, Sir, I discern that you are a prophet. And she goes back to her village and says, Come meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. And these are, these are when, uh, in prayer, that we just believe that God's just giving us um, particular things, particular words of knowledge about, about a people's situation or a particular thing about them that we, that we couldn't know otherwise. And it's as simple as this. It's not any more complex than this. This is the point of words of knowledge. So that people that they're given to would know that God knows them and loves them. That's it. That is it. 
And so we, we've had a few stories of this as well. It's been amazing where we've been praying and we've had all sorts of things. We've, uh, Johnny once had a word about sequins and a hen party and found a hen party in a pub and ended up praying for them all. It was amazing. Um, but just, just re- really quickly on this, I just want to share one story um, uh, about uh, we were praying and we felt that we were going to bump into a woman who had lost a son um, and was having serious financial difficulty and was really just at the end of a rope. And we went out um, on the streets and we were praying for different people and we ended up in this little market. And we were about to head back up when we saw this woman. We thought, I just think that, you know, we need to go and pray for this woman. And so we told her, um, we just asked her about herself and, and said, look, like this is going to sound really weird, but we, we've, we, when we were praying, we feel, felt God tell us something. We think that it might be you. And we showed her the note on our iPhone. And um, the woman had lost a son in a car crash the year before. Um, and was going through a court case with her ex-husband and was in real financial difficulty and was losing loads of money and was working at this flower stand that wasn't doing particularly well. And, um, and we showed her this iPhone note. She broke down in tears and um, we began to pray for her and she ended up telling her sister. And so next time we were by the flower stand, we ended up praying for her sister. And God just dropping these things in that we, we just we couldn't know otherwise. There are, honestly, I've got, I'm not lying. I've got written down on my iPad like... A dozen of these stories, but there's no time. Um, maybe you can discuss it after you pray for your waiter or waitresses over lunch. <laughs> eh? Cheeky. So, <laughs> but I'm going to come into that. Why does why does God do this? You know, whatever routine, rhythm, revelation, whatever the language you want to put around us reaching out to see the lost come home. Why does God do it? Because He is already there. He is already there. Jesus is already running out to the people of King's Cross and saying to his church, where are you? You see, the problem is I feel that all of us, you know, me included, we're at the risk of when God pours life onto our churches that's supposed to overflow through every single one of us where we are, we ended up become, just become bloated on it. We end up just becoming fat and, and storing up for ourselves the life that God wants to release through us. But there is a vision where people on every single street gossip about the name of Jesus. There is a vision where prisons begin to overflow with the gospel in such a way that revival ends up coming. There is a vision where people who love Jesus are so filled with faith that every sphere of society is so filled with faith for their work, for their family, for their neighborhood, that we start to see a city change because of the glory of Jesus. People just go and are obedient to him in the city. There's a vision where our church structures will change, not because of a new leadership vision, but because Jesus is bringing people in such quantity that we have to decide people differently. Some of you in this room, I believe, will have to sell your houses and move somewhere else because people are going to become Christians in such measure that the only way to disciple them is to live where they are. There is a vision of Jesus wanting to pour out his spirit upon our city. And the question is, will we join him? Will we join him? He's already there. Will we join him to see the lost come home? Will we believe? And can I just say, this isn't about personality. You know, some of you might look at me and think, look, even if you weren't a Christian, you'd probably bump in and chat to people on the street anyway. This isn't about personality. Peter and John in the middle of their routine. Peter, we we see, don't we, in the Gospels is this kind of extroverted character. And John is the the opposite, really. That he laid, I'm out of breath, flipping heck. He laid with Jesus and and reclined with him. This isn't about personality. This is about your heart being captured by God in such a way that anything less than seeing the people you know, seeing the people you love, seeing the people around the city, the, co- the coffee shops you frequent, people that feel far from him coming home, anything less than that just doesn't appeal to you. You give your life to it, whatever you're doing. 
I want to finish with this. And can I ask that you just give this a really wide berth? Because it's very cheesy and probably in some ways very politically incorrect. Um, but you can scrub it from the recording if you want. And then we'll, we'll pray. It's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, this, by the way. There's a group called the Fisherman's Fellowship. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics. Then they realized that they had been going at it backwards. They had approached fishing from the point of view of the fishermen and not from the fish. How do fish view the world? How does the fisherman appear to the fish? What do fish eat and when? These are all good things to know. So they began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. Some got PhDs in fishology, but no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. As, a prospe- as prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all of the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why most did not answer the survey, but from those that did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish, a few to furnish fishing equipment, and several to go around encouraging fishermen. What with the meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just didn't have time to fish. Now, Jake was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting at the fellowship, Jake went fishing. He tried a few things, got the hang of it, and caught a choice fish. At the next meeting, he told his story, and he was honored for his catch, and then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters to tell how he did it. Now, because of all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors of the Fisherman Fellowship, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again. So he cut the speaking, resigned from the board and said to a friend, let's go fishing. They did, just the two of them. And they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishers were few.